While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Good evening. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. Uh, joining us uh, in the uh, 8 o'clock hour is uh, Miriam Albert. She is the lead attorney on the Voctec uh, admissions uh, federal lawsuit. Miriam, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Good evening, everyone. So, um, uh, Miriam, uh, just before we get started, you are an attorney at the Lawyers for Civil Rights in Boston. Can you just tell us uh, more about what uh, the organization does? Sure. So uh, Lawyers for Civil Rights is a nonprofit legal organization that provides uh, free legal assistance to people of color and immigrants and other marginalized uh, communities um, in a variety of different areas, but uh, specifically uh, when it impacts their civil rights. So that can include the context of, um, and like in this case, uh, in education, um, police uh, misconduct cases, employment, and a variety of other areas. So, um, Miriam, you file, uh, the suit was filed on, I believe, last Thursday. Um, why did you think it was important to take action um, on behalf of uh, this uh, the vocational coalition and the four students that are named parties in the lawsuit? Uh, well, it's important because, um, you know, public education should celebrate all students, um, people, students' diversity, uh, students' different skills and abilities. And I think that that is an important point when it comes to to vocational technical education, uh, which was traditionally a place where students who didn't necessarily strive in the traditional academic space could have another avenue where they could be successful, um, enjoy learning, and then at the same time build the skills necessary to later on be in a trade that would provide a a stable uh, financial life for them, essentially. So for that reason, um, the fact that you know, different vulnerable student groups are being excluded from this process is should be highly alarming to everyone, um, especially when it's within the context of public school education. 
Which students are being excluded uh, from the vocational admissions process by and large? So the, the three major groups or four major groups that the complaint um, discusses are students of color, um, English language learners, students with disabilities, and students who come from uh, economically disadvantaged families. So, uh, and, go ahead. Mm-hmm, sorry. No, go ahead. At, yes, and so the, the complaint focuses, has claims under three specific uh, laws, right, so Title VI, Title II of the ADA, and then uh, Section 504, um, which the ADA and Section 504 address uh, disability discrimination. Title VI uh, addresses discrimination due to race, ethnic background, um, which will include students of color and um, English language learners. Um, so those are the three the three claims that the, that our complaint focuses on. But we also will throughout the complaint thread um, the obligations that Desi has under the Perkins Act, which then includes also students uh, from economically disadvantaged families. Um, but the main focus is on the other three. So um, how are they uh, excluding these um, protected classes of students? So the way that currently DESE's policies are structured, it allows uh, vocational tech high schools uh, to use selective criteria. And um, what that will entail is that schools will use um, grades, discipline, uh, attendance, uh, recommendations from counselors and oftentimes interviews as a way to determine whether a student is eligible to um, gain admission at this specific school. And then on top of that, they also rank students. So traditionally, and I mean social science research and just Desi's even own data will demonstrate that, this, that these five criteria have a disproportionate impact on those student populations, the, the protected classes of students, which include students of color, students with disabilities, and English language learners. And then on top of that, they're also ranking students. So because of that, that, that could mean that a student who has, for example, uh, a B grade point average, if that student is against like a, a, a straight A student, um, even though that student is very much eligible to be admitted to the specific school, it could very much well mean that they will be denied just because another student with higher grades might be um, ranked higher than them. So what is the remedy that you're, um, you're seeking? What, what does the, um, what, 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 what is the best uh, solution to this problem that, that you're putting forward? So our complaint specifically is asking that the U.S. Uh, Department of Education intervene and investigate these policies. And by doing that, also find that these policies are unlawful because they disproportionately impact students of color, students with disabilities, and English language learners. Um, and that then that schools, and specifically DESE and schools, have to, um, if they're going to use selective criteria, that they first um, 
demonstrate that this criteria is essential to participate in, and that there is no equally valid criteria or that can be used instead. Isn't that similar to, isn't that kind of similar to the policy that they have now? So in June of 2021, DESE did modify their regulations to include language from the federal civil rights standards. Um, and this is something that our complaint also touches on, um, even though it's great that that modification or those that that was done. Um, it really just serves as boilerplate because in essence and in, pract- in practicality, that's not what's actually happening. Um, as the data shows, you know, schools are still utilizing a lot of these different criteria that is disproportionately excluding these student groups. So what you're saying is the, the enforcement um, of the criteria is the issue? The issue is that... DESE is not yet enforcing the the civil rights standard. So schools are continuing to use this criteria, which is already known to be disproportionately impacting students of color and students from other protected classes. So, um, so Miriam, uh, one of the things I heard at the press conference was um, a blind lottery. Uh, is that mentioned at all in the federal complaint? Um, or is that something LCR, uh, LCR is also arguing for? So our complaint doesn't necessarily touch on um, or ask for a lottery. Um, it does talk about how there is currently one school that uses a lottery system um, it does talk about um, another student narrative or experience uh, where the student um, is, you know, thriving at this school and the school uses a lottery system. Um, but really what we're asking for is, again, just that um, OCR, the Office for, for Civil Rights, finds that th- these policies are unlawful and demand that uh, Destiny and school and CBT schools um, comply with the civil rights uh, laws. I know uh, New Be- down here in New Bedford, uh, Greater New Bedford, Volk and Diamond uh, in Fall River have been singled out as particularly, um, uh, I think, particularly uh, disproportionately uh, uh, dis- discriminating, discriminating against uh, students uh, of these protected classes. That's according to Desi. Um, is uh, are there any other school districts in particular that um, are particularly, I think, offensive to the criteria that you guys are looking for? Our complaint um, addresses, you know, the whole system overall but there i believe that there i'm sure that there are specific schools that you know can be particularly bad actors that is not something that the complaint necessarily focused on but we do have data where for example we know that even in this last um school year um 22 of the regional vocational tech schools still disproportionately exclude students of color we know that 26 of those uh, regional vocational tech schools exclude students from economically disadvantaged families. We know that 23 of them exclude students with disabilities. 
And we know that 13 of those schools also disproportionately continue to exclude English language learners. So again, like I think that the point is that this is a, this is a widespread issue, which is why this is um, the complaint is focused on DESE, DESE and the schools, right? They all have an obligation to comply with uh, civil rights laws, including Title VI, you know, the ADA and Section 504. So for people who don't know, DESE is the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Have they responded? Have we heard anything from uh, the Education Secretary, Patrick Tutwiler, or uh, Governor Moore Healy thus far? You know, this is a, like you mentioned earlier, we, we just filed this. This is in the beginning stages still. So we, we are still waiting to, to hear a response. But we look forward to working with all interested parties and in moving this along. Um, if uh, if Governor Healy had um, if Governor Healy had come out to the, let's say today and said that um, okay we're moving to uh, blind lottery for all Vogue schools uh, would LCR then um, you know change course in or would you still be calling for an investigation into Desi's previous actions? I, mean, I guess that that's some. Uh something that we would explore when that were to, if that were to occur, um, you know, we definitely want to ensure that um, all schools have uh, equitable policies or are practicing equitable policies. So we're speaking with uh, Marion Albert. She she is the uh, lead attorney on the Voketech uh, admissions case. Marion, I thank you so much for joining me this evening. Um, before I let you go, where can people learn more uh, about uh, LCR and the work that you guys are doing? Sure. So you can visit our website, which is floresforcivilrights.org. Thanks so much for joining me, Marian. Mm-hmm. That was Marian Albert. She is the uh, lead attorney on the Vogue Tech admissions case. She works for the Lawyers for Civil Rights, uh, a major legal organization up in Boston. If you actually remember uh, former DA candidate Rasan Hall worked for Lawyers for Civil Rights. So they're leading that lawsuit against Desi, um, along with the, uh, I believe, the Center for Education and Law. And um, I think, you know, we're going to see some. I think we're going to see some movement. Uh, I think we're going to end up seeing some movement on that, but we'll see. I have, again, I mentioned this in the first hour. I have um, reached out to Vogue Tech to get somebody here uh, to interview, um, to present the other side of this debate um, that, that I have done. So I have done that, just to let you guys know. There had been expressed interest pro- uh, before. I don't know if there still is. Um, of course, if there is or if there eventually will be, uh, I will, of course, have somebody from Vogue Tech or somebody who's presenting the other side of the discussion here on South Coast tonight. But just to let people know so that I'm not so they don't think that I'm bombarding people with a certain point of view that I may or may not agree with. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, this is a huge story. It impacts the South Coast you know, directly. It impacts Fairhaven, New Bedford, and Dartmouth directly, right? And and even Fall River, Swansea, Somerset, uh, Westport it impacts us all directly. So, um, you know, we're going to talk about it as much, you know, 
I think as we need to, um, because it is really important. It is a really important conversation. So 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. We're also taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. I got someone asking me if, uh, if, this guest is an attorney. Um, yes, uh, it is, she's the, the lead attorney on the, that is Miriam Albert. She is the lead attorney on the, to, uh, the the federal civil rights lawsuit filed against the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, also known as DESE, which is the state education department. Um, the, the lawsuit against DESE um, to basically change the vote, uh, the their policies on Voctech admissions or the enforcement of their policies uh, for Voctech admissions to make them more um, equitable, basically where it's at. We also had some word from the Ward 3 candidates on whether or not they support Cal Pimentel for uh, the Voctech school uh, committee nomination. And we're actually going to um, talk a little bit more about that when we get back from the break. Uh, so 508-996-0500. And we're also taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. Listen to us live. Tonight, I'm Marcus. Uh, 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. Again, that was Miriam Albert. She's the lead attorney on the Voctech admissions case. Um, you know, Mayor Mitchell had said previously, he had said basically, you, know, you look at some of the admission discrepancies between who, what, what, uh, what types of students folk schools are admitting, and the types of students that represent the sending districts. Like he, you know, cited the ELL students uh, discrepancy, and he said, you know, you ask any civil rights lawyer, they're going to say, yeah, that's a problem, and there's a lawsuit waiting to happen. And here we are. Uh, I, you know, we haven't heard anything from the Healy administration. Uh, they ca- they could. Because this is a this isn't legislative, right? This is a directive. There is legislation that was filed um, by Tony Cabral and the senator from the Worcester area. I will remember his name momentarily, but Tony Cabral, obviously being in New Bedford, is one of the um, one of the the reps speaking. Uh, you know, he's the co chair of the Gateway Cities Caucus as well. Um, he's one of the uh, reps that filed a bill that basically makes the DESE standard uh, make tries to uh, bring the DESE admission standards to a full lottery. So the way it works right now is it's delegated by executive authority, right? So DESE sets their regulations. Where typically, just just speaking in broad strokes about administrative law and this type of lawmaking. Um, when there is no specific directive from the legislature, typically the executive branch makes, uh, you know, uh, comes down with regulations, right, in areas where the legislator either doesn't speak explicitly on an issue or gives them the explicit authority to make those regulations, so, like, a good example of that is, like, ARPA. They allocated the funds um, to the Treasury, but the Treasury made the regulations on how it would be spent. That's really the power of the executive branch is to be able to make, you know, delegate that authority uh, down. Now, if 
let's say Rep Cabral's legislation were to be passed, then the legislature, then there is, if let's say it's passed, let's say Healy signs it and it's law. Well, then Desi has to comply with the law. Then there's a law in the books and Desi has to work within the parameters of that law. But right now, there is no specific law in the books regarding regulating Voketech admissions policy to make it more inclusive. So they can right now just change it. They can come out with a new directive and say, and I probably wouldn't do, you know, I don't know if they do it right away. I don't know how the, you know, what the timetable is on this stuff. I, I guess they could do it right away. They could come down and say, hey, listen, this isn't working. Um, we're going to, you know, we're issuing new regulations that are basically saying you have to go to a blind lottery system. You get X amount of seats and you have to do a blind lottery. And the students that get in are the students that get in. That could be, that could be, that would probably end everything in terms of the lawsuit probably pretty quickly. Um, I don't know if she's going to do that. I haven't read any public commentary from her or from Education uh, Secretary Patrick Teltweiler. Um, I personally think she should do that. But it is a major, major policy decision. And I don't know if it was one that she was expecting coming in, uh, coming into her administration. I know that, you know, the Mitchell has led this, I think I'll call it years long crusade, basically, against vocational schools and their admissions policies and has basically, you know, um, has, uh, you know, has basically argued for the blind lottery system and said that's what they need to go to. And his lobbying efforts were successful in at least getting them to change, you know, to pay a little bit more attention to it. But as he said before, Desi's head is in the sand on this. Their head's been on the sand, in the sand on this. They've been willing to not do anything about it. Uh, Tony Cabral said the same thing. He said the reason we're doing this, uh, reason that we're filing this legislation is because Desi's not doing what we asked them to do, what we told them they need to do. So we're filing this legislation because they need to do it. And again, if this legisl- if that legislation passed, then you you know it would be a different situation. But then you know, I don't know if Healy would sign it. I don't know if they'd have enough for a veto override with a house that's just uniformly one party. That could be the case. But I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not entirely sure on where that would go yet. Uh, obviously, that legislation is going to pick up a little bit more steam with these new with this, these new headlines. But it would be great to hear from the Healy administration on whether or not they're going to do any, they're you know how they're going to respond to this lawsuit um, that's been filed essentially against their education department, right? That's it's theirs now. So they could do something about it or they can try to fight the lawsuit. We'll see. I don't know if it's a situation in which, you know, I don't know if it's a situation in which like, you know, the, the, um, 
it, it, it's I lost my train of thought, honestly. But um, yeah. So I, I you know, w- we'll see um, on whether or not I. I think there's going to be some movement on it. Uh, I don't think they're going to. It could be maybe be a situation in which it goes to the Supreme Court. Um, J- John Roberts has definitely not taken kindly to policies that uh, to admissions policies that help students of color get in. That's like been his big thing. He like loves it. He like loves students. of. He loves like students from protected classes having less of an opportunity to get into schools. That's like been his, that's been his kick for his 15 years as chief justice. So it, it could be a situation in which it, it's not a, it's not an exaggeration. This is filed at the federal level already. It's not that crazy to think that this, could go all the way to the Supreme Court that they could grant cert on this case. Now, they only take about 100-some-odd cases a year, so I don't know if this will be one of them, but it is sort of in the wheelhouse of the stuff that John Roberts likes to cover. Like I said, he really doesn't like um, affirmative action policies. He doesn't like when uh, students from protected classes have a better chance of getting a career or getting, getting, a, uh, getting into school as white students. It's been his big thing. Um, he's been pretty, you know, he's been pretty firm on that. So it might be something that they'd be willing to adopt, although it might be too state specific, but it's not that much of an exaggeration to say it could go, this could go all the way to the Supreme court. What I think is interesting now is that, um, we're looking at now Mayor Mitchell's nominee for the Vogue Tech School Committee, Carol Pimentel. Mitchell has not pulled her nomination. He said she's not been denied since it was a five to four vote. You need six. You need six to get anything done, right? So since it wasn't a five to four vote, his position is that her nomination is basically in like a stasis, um, and it can be brought up again for reappointment. Um, and it will be brought up again for reappointment. Now you have, um, now you have, uh, you have um, a five to four against Pimentel the last time the a five to four against Pimentel the last time the um, the the vote went down. Now. Hugh Dunn would have voted for her. The outgoing Ward 3 City Council would have voted uh, in favor of her. And and Derek Baptiste would have, but he wasn't at the meeting. So Mitchell believes that her nomination isn't DOA just yet because... And he's right to believe that. He's actually right to believe that. He can just wait. Because right now, we've heard from both the Ward 3 City Council candidates on this matter. We've heard we've heard them uh, speak out on this on the record. After Mitchell's interview here on South Coast Tonight, Sean Oliver called in and he said, he said that he's... He's going to, if he's elected, vote for Carol Pimentel. He's going to vote to confirm her to the school committee. He also said it's worth looking to change the admissions policies, right? So 
if Sean Oliver gets elected, then Mitchell has the votes as long as Derek Baptiste goes to the next meeting um, because he wasn't at that one. If he goes to the next meeting, he'll have the votes. If Carmen Amaral is elected, she said she's going to confirm him. Their complete comments are in an article I wrote on WBSM.com. Um, but they both said they they both said that they would approve her, which is good. That means that they will likely be they will be the swing vote because Derek Baptiste is my uh, is Mitchell's understanding going to vote for her. So if he's at the next meeting, he's going to vote for her, and um, they're going to get he's Mitchell's going to get a vote from one of the Ward Three City Councilors on that. So that means her nomination is going to pass to the committee with a six to five vote. So there's going to be somebody, you know, it's a slow process to reappoint those positions, but it's going to be somebody, it seems, that is going to be wanting to move the folk tech admissions in a different direction. Um, wanting to move towards, you know, the blind lottery rather than what they have right now for people who don't know, is a qualified lottery, uh, which is what, something they just started. So I, it's either like just being implemented now, but it's a new, it, they just approved it in the in a December 13th meeting in the Vogue School Committee. They basically said, um, uh, it's attendance. So there's three, there's three criterion. There's grades, attendance and discipline and for grades i think it's worth mentioning that the grades it's a flat grading requirement so if you have a c what uh what superintendent director watson had told me if you have a c or if you have an a it doesn't matter you just have to have at least a c so a's aren't given more weight in this new admissions policy a's aren't get uh, for the qualified lottery a's aren't given more weight um than than C's. You just have to have at least the 70 in the like core curriculum classes, I think. Then it's, um, you have to not be chronically absent by DESE standards of being chronically absent. And, um, and you have to, and you have to not have had certain uh, behavioral violations. Um, I think, honestly, and then there's gonna the second half of seats are gonna be through their selected criteria. It's difficult to envision that and they're gonna do the lottery on the front end instead of the back end. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess we'll we'll see if if they don't do anything to change these policies in the immediate future, we'll see what the admit the admitting student uh, population is from the sending districts um, and whether or not that will adequately reflect. But if you're having a, I think my, you know, what I'm thinking is if you're having a qualified lottery, I think you run into the same problems. I don't know if that makes it, um, I don't know if that makes it any better, honestly. Um, but, um, uh, you know, as of now, until something's done on this, that's going to be the policy that they have moving forward. 508 996 0500. 1420 WBSM is now also on 99.5 FM. Taunton Federal. This time next week, I'll be sick in bed with West Nile virus. Thanks to a mosquito bite right in front of my house. In eight minutes, my daughter will be in an ambulance having an asthma attack triggered by cockroaches. I'm going to be bitten by a tick today. I won't even know it until Lyme disease. 
turns my life upside down. Learn how to protect your family at pestworld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association and the CDC. Get breaking news alerts. Stream audio. Send us text messages and get live traffic and weather updates all on the WBSM app. Download it now from your app store or at WBSM.com. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm, uh, I'm Marcus. Um, again, I want to thank our guests, um, Congressman Jake Auchincloss, who's now in the House Chambers for the State of the Union, and um, and uh, Attorney uh, Marion Elbert, who is the lead attorney filing on the Voktek admissions case. I do want to say I'll be here um, throughout Biden's. I, th- I, You know, it probably won't start on time, honestly, so... Um, I will be here uh, until 10 o'clock. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the history of the State of the Union, which I think is pretty interesting. But here's what I'm, you know, it is kind of striking to see. And uh, maybe this has been a thing, but it seems like the Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, and Kamala Harris, um, you know, because as you know, when the president presents his, um, when the president presents his, uh, his, his State of the Union address, I say his because there hasn't been a woman president yet, but this is why I'm saying his, uh, his State of the Union address. Uh, there's the the vice president and the Speaker of the House that sit directly behind him. They seem to be pretty chummy. They seem to be pretty chummy right now, which I think, I don't know, it was worth noting. It was worth noting. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think this is a return to, you know... <laughs> noble statesmanship or whatever, but uh, they're a lot friendlier than you'd expect. I mean, they did serve together in Congress for some time, so maybe they they know each other fairly well. They probably have to do some negotiations over stuff, but uh, it's. I think it's worth noting. It's not something that I saw necessarily with uh, Pelosi and Pence or maybe Biden and uh, maybe Biden and, and Boehner. I'm not sure. But thought it was worth worth uh, picking up on. So I'm going to take another break. I'll be right back. The WBSM app is everything. Yes. Um, so yeah, just everybody's filling into the House Chamber for the State of the Union. I'm going to be here. Uh, I don't know. These things usually don't start right on time anyway. So I'll be here till ten. Um, and I'll watch it later because I have to, but I don't think you have to. <laughs> I don't think you have to. I, 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 it's a bunch of pageantry. They walked out the Supreme Court justices now, uh, the first lady. It looks like most of them are there, including a couple former ones. I don't see Alito. Uh, it's the only one I didn't see. Scalia famously never went to the State of the Union. He never saw it as a as like a productive use of his time. Maybe Alito didn't go... Because um, he's still mad about Obama um, calling him out to his face uh, about Citizens United, which he was 100% right about. Um, maybe that's it. Now that's the cabinet secretaries, you got, uh, you know, Merrick Garland, uh, Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary. They're all filing in. Uh, it's Everybody's got their own guest. So, you know, Maura Healy's the guest of uh, Richie Neal, the Springfield uh, the Springfield Congressman, she's going to be there. I saw that. Uh, I saw that on her. Um, I think it was on her public schedule. Gina Raimondo is not the designated survivor. I got to find out who the designated survivor is, and I'll, uh, I'll let you guys know at the nine o'clock hour. So if something happens in the State of the Union, this person 
if something happens catastrophically, everybody at the State of the Union were to die, then, or at least like everybody in the front row, um, then this person, the designated survivor, would be the president. It's not Gina. Gina Raimondo was a designated survivor last year because I, I see her there, and Buttigieg uh, is there, you know. But uh, I, uh, I don't know who it is. I'll find out. We'll find out who our next president could be by the end of the night. <laughs> by the end of the night. So stay tuned. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. Um, so we're going to have the news, and then I'll be back. I'll take your calls on whatever you want, open, open phone lines, open topics. So just give me a buzz. 